Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Formula for Success in association with F1 Manager 2023. I'm David Coulthard, ageing ex-Grand Prix driver, and sitting opposite me is my old buddy, EJ. Even more aged at this stage. I mean, we could be actually out there called helping the aged because, uh, oh, these years are flying by, but that's what happens when you're having fun. Well, our combined age would be 127 or something like that. I, if haven't, I, done got the, I haven't got the brain intellect to work it all out. Uh, but I know 75 and 52 works out as something like that. Yeah, I was gonna, normally with numbers, you're I'm pretty good. Fairly accurate. Uh, well, saying that, you, actually, I have realized that when you were counting out our share, of uh, of some of a business transaction, it was you were going two for me, one for him, two for me, one for him. I, I thought it was a 50-50 deal. David, the day I see the right amount of revenue coming from this company that you own, which we're actually now recording on this studio, listeners out there, it is very difficult to sit across from the boss of the company and try and be respectful, particularly when it's David Coulthard looking at you. Right. We'll move on. Um, the <laughs> summer break is over and Formula yeah. One is back with the Dutch Grand Prix in Zandvoort uh, this weekend. Uh, we've got 10 races left and I think it's safe to say we know where the World Championship is heading. Uh, but put your salesman's hat on. Why should people be excited about the second half of this season? It's simple. They, they've been... Um cocooned into a position where everybody, you rightly say, we know where the World Championship is going, and that's for the third time. And I think, guys, you better get used to it because I think there'll be a lot more than three. Um, having said that, uh, I think there's a bit of intrigue. I want to see what's going to happen between Ferrari uh, and Mercedes and what has happened to Aston Martin in the last couple of races because we need to see them back on getting their mojo back. And as we rightly said last week, McLaren looked to be the pick of the bunch at the moment. They look very strong. Uh, Oscar and Lando, uh, really gorgeous, young, fresh, vibrant team with a car that's now performing. I think they could be a real surprise. So I think there's lots to look forward to. What I'm really hoping we'll see in the second half of the season is a, a re-emergence of Ferrari because the first half of the season it's just been uncomfortable watching, isn't it? They're there or thereabouts. But the Ferrari, they're so much more than a normal team, aren't they? The history they've got, the, the you know, they famously don't do any marketing. They don't do any advertising other than Formula One. So they need, I think, to be more competitive than they have been. And I believe in Fred Vasseur and I believe that he, he will be able to influence change there, but it's been a bit slow coming, hasn't it? 
Well, there's two things on that. One, um, talk about Fred in a second because I don't know him as well as you do. I remember when he was at Sauber for all of those years and then other teams and obviously his, his record. It must be a really difficult job to do what he's doing at Ferrari. I cast my mind back to, to, to Jean, uh, Jean Todd and how he structured it. I think what Fred seems to not have done, which I would have done, me, if it was Jordan that went there, I would have brought my little group, just like they do in soccer. You bring your coach, you bring your assistant, the guy who sits beside you on the perch, so to speak, and he tells you what he thinks because he's got more time to think about it. You, as a team boss, you're thinking about a multitude of things, but you need good, high-quality assistance to be able to feed you information that you need at the time. I don't think he's got that at the moment. And the second part that I wanted to talk about is you talk about Ferrari advertising. I'm not sure if the people realize you've got one of the most um, uh, biggest brands in terms of recall rate in, in the world. There's not many bigger. And they have never, ever advertised You'll never see a, a paper, a magazine, a pa of any description. Everything that they've ever done has been through Formula One. And I applaud them for that because that shows huge courage, but also belief in the sport, but belief in themselves. That's pretty unique, I would say, in, in the marketing world. I, I can't think of any other company that, that operates like that. But let's hope that they find some uh, extra performance before the end of the year. Also, uh, as much as the writing on the World Championship wall is clear, it would be good to see uh, some first-time winners. Um, and uh, who who do we think, you know, wild prediction, of the young guys out there, who do we think is most likely to get that surprise victory? Because if we go back a couple of years ago, we had Orcon do that in the Alpine in Budapest. There's always a race, isn't there, where the unexpected happens. I'd quite like to see Lando and McLaren get, get a first victory. Um, or George has already had a victory, hasn't he, with the, the sprint race in Brazil and the Mercedes. So and, and, he's lost his virginity. Uh, I'll move on from that particular subject. I'll leave that especially for you. You're the expert. Um, <laughs> I'm still a virgin. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm not sure our listeners are that gullible either. But anyway, um, you know, Oscar, it would be for me an absolute dream to see a rookie in his first year come up against somebody like as quick and as talented as Lando Norris. Uh, and I'm sure that our old mate, who is one of our really cycling buddies, who we adore, we haven't seen in the last couple of weeks, is Mark Webber. Uh, I'm sure Mark is uh, coaching him and, and steering him in the right direction with his wife, uh, Anne, who is an absolute genius uh, of a girl uh, in that particular regard. I'd just like to see Oscar do and maybe win a race. That would be just remarkable. <laughs> Of course, as well as EJ, we can't forget our sponsors, F1 Manager 2023, where people can take on the role of leading a Formula One team. So thinking about team principles, EJ, who do you think has the most work to do coming into the second half of the season? Well, I think without any doubt, with all the kerfuffle and the change of faces and people um, in Alpine, that seems to me... Uh, yeah, I did Otmar... Uh, Schaffner has just left. But, uh, and and the group that he had there. And quite honestly, I, I think the team had great potential. I, I, I like the, the driver. I like Gasly and I like Ocon. And I think they're competent drivers, absolutely. Um, I think they could have done a great job there. I just, but And longevity is the key to this. David, I, can, I, I know I've said it a million times before. What makes Red Bull great? 
because it's the same people. What made uh, Patrick Head and, 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 and the Williams operation? The people, Ron Dennis, the same people. And, and now you have this carry-on at, uh, at Alpine. So the, the, the thing is that I, I, I wish them well, but I, I don't see, I, I really can't see a positive outcome. When you start changing people so quickly like that and when you have interference from a governing body like the main sponsor, like Renault, uh, you're, you're asking for trouble. What I'm a little bit worried about is I don't know any of the the, the sort of main people there now. They, they don't seem to have, you know, Formula One DNA. You know, when we were doing the BBC and we were doing Channel 4 with Whisper and whatever, you, you felt that you could go into every motorhome without any problem and you always were able to go into every motorhome. But you didn't go into the Renault very often, did you? You certainly don't go into the Alpine very often because it's not warm. It's not conducive. They, they, don't, they don't invite you in. They don't have press parties. They don't have press meetings or the breakfast meetings or t- to understand exactly what's going on. And I think they need to get a, a bit of reality check here. They need to m- make themselves realize it's a sport, it's a business, but it's entertainment. Uh, it's a good point, actually. You make me realize I've never been in. I've never been into their hospitality. There you go. Uh, but that said, Is, in are they all the only the years, ones? No, well, I, I'm just thinking, in, at Ferrari, in the 30 years that I've been involved in, in Formula One, I've actually only ever been into Ferrari once. <laughs> <laughs> which is well, but I, you know I guess I've, I've had I no, sold them a lot of drivers David I used to be in and out of it like a yo-yo a lot. but that, that said um, they, they are uh, you know Ferrari are, are very good or even Alpine all the teams their press officers I have to say are, are, are all very professional you know we obviously in television have to line up and wait to get access to the drivers if they're having a successful time or an interesting time and we involve them in the show. So coordinating all of the different world's media so that they all get their moment uh, is a job that I wouldn't want to have. But uh, no complaints from me on that side. David, the fact that you said you've never been there. Look, whether you like it or not, you're a Grand Prix winner. You've been in the media for a very long time. Do you not think if you were a press officer or you were the managing director or the team principal of a team like Alpine, don't you think that you should you would have been invited in to, to have a word with the senior management or would you like to have a word with, with, with Gasly or would you like a word with, with Ocon? I mean, th- that would never have happened at Jordan because we would be begging, we'd be handcuffing you to, to drag you into <laughs> the thing and just put a lasso on you and drag you in. I mean, I just feel if I was a sponsor of that team, I'd be miffed because they were missing great opportunities for media and for contact with the press in general. Well, I think it's changed, isn't it? I, I totally take uh, take on board what you're saying. Certainly when I was racing, there would be media dinners organised <laughs> and you would, you, you would obviously sit there and, and share some stories. Um, but I think it's changed so much now that teams are almost more impressed, I guess, to have like an influencer there with them for the weekend because then they can, you know, send out images to their millions of followers. So that seems to be taking more of a priority than sort of classic television. Yep. But David, cast your mind back. Um, when you get your schedule for the Grand Prix weekend, let's say you were in Monza, you would be at one dinner on a Friday night or a Thursday night, uh, and then you had another dinner on the Friday and another on the Saturday. And you would always be excused on the Saturday to be able to leave at about 8.30 or 9 o'clock once you'd meet and greet, uh, maybe have the starter and go. Um, I mean, that's what our drivers always did. And they that was the obligation and that was the contractual obligation. I don't understand how the drivers, they don't have to test, they don't have to turn up at these functions. What do they do? <laughs> have a great time. 
on this particular episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, some of the scariest moments that we've had in our careers, because as we know, motor racing is dangerous. But before we do that, um, I think it's time to get one of your stories, EJ. And you mentioned something about Chris Harris. The scary moment. We know where, uh, you know, Top Gear has been such an amazing program, probably worldwide, BBC's most successful program uh, in, in recent years. And we hope it's going to continue, but we don't know. Um, and they've had some issues um, obviously, so they've cancelled filming because of the Freddie Flintoff accident, and and we wish Freddie the very best of success and and rush back to full health, Freddie, because you're a genius both in the cricket page, but you were also a genius on Top Gear. Um, but one of the things with Top Gear that we were asked to do was to um, we had this Renault Alpine the A A110, and it was a, just an amazing car that Chris was driving and I was his uh, navigator. So we go hurtling down the stage in Monte Carlo Rally, just, just up in the mountains here. Um, the snow had just gone to the side, so it, it was dry. So we had the slick tires on and we were absolutely flying. Chris Harris is one hell of a driver, let me tell you. And in a Porsche, there's not many who can beat him. But anyway, we were in this Alpine. Um, and after about Two minutes into the stage, when, you know, I'm saying, we're doing really well here, you know, and I'm saying 90 left and 90 right. So I was going through the motions about where to think because I was reading off the chart, you know, trying yeah, not to look notes. up, the, uh, trying not to look out the window uh, because it was scary, <laughs> <laughs> you know. All I could feel myself being shook around in this tiny little capsule. Yeah. Anyway, after two minutes, I'm suddenly feeling something not quite right here. I said, Jesus and, and and then I could see him and I and he's ramming it into first gear, flat out brakes, doesn't hit anything, but the flames are coming up underneath the floor, uh, straight over my leg, and I got obviously got fireproof suits on both of us. He managed to stop it in an unbelievable way, uh, and we both jumped out. Anything wrong with the six point harness? We were we were toast. We so were the car both was toast. on fire. The car, I promise you. It was like as if it was a barbecue. You know, when a barbecue is over, all the cinders, that's all that was left. You know, sometimes when you see a burnt out car, you see certain parts. This car was burnt to the ground. It was unbelievable. So what was it? Was it like a, a fuel line that was it broken? It was a or? fuel line on, on an exhaust pipe uh, that had fractured from probably previous use or whatever it was. But it's one of those things that does happen. But when those little cars are so tiny, 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 um, they have to ram in a really high-performance engine and then the gearbox on the side. And, of course, all of the little things that make up what the car goes quickly, um, you know, some of it's compromised. And what happened was there was a fracture uh, on the fuel line. It weeped out onto the exhaust and it, the heat that's going on in, in the car at that particular time it doesn't take long for it to just go up in a match. Jeez, you could have had barbecued EJ. Uh, well, I could have very much been, I could be, <laughs> I got myself cremated on the cheap because I could have been in the car. <laughs> that seems like a long time ago, that incident, Eddie. Um, it wasn't great, was it? My lasting impression is we were okay because we were going uphill. Had that been downhill... I think the obituaries would have been busy uh, recording your life and forgetting about the few things I've done. Um, I loved working with you, boss. It was great fun. You were always impish, uncontrollable, uh, and far too willing to get those spoons out and start playing them. For the avoidance of doubt, you're a talented musician, but your spoon playing sucks. Um, it was it was an interesting day, that. Yeah, I, I won't go into it anymore. There was a very interesting book written by a man called Dave Twoig, 
who was the project leader for that, where they, they told us how they went through an aerospace-style investigation to work out what happened to the car. It turns out, I think it was a fuel line that had been crimping. But the Top Gear years were fun, weren't they? Do you remember us, you, me, Sabine, Matt LeBlanc in the desert? That was great fun. Uh, love you lots. And you did teach me a lot. I know you think I owe my career to you, which obviously I don't. But you're a lovely man. Uh, and DC, uh, you're a great chap too. Uh, enjoy your podcast. Formula for Success is brought to you in association with F1 Manager 2023, giving you unparalleled control of the chosen F1 team and a brand new mode that allows you to rewrite the season in your terms. Your legacy begins here. Well, uh, my skating moment um, definitely was when I was a test driver. I never really had um, big crashes in, in Grand Prix. You know, you always you know, damage the car, but basically you walk away without injury. But in uh, my younger career, I, I remember uh, in Spa, I was in a support race, and I was racing in a formula called uh, Opel Lotus. And it was the first lap going down the hill in the infield in, in Belgium to Pouon Corner. And in between um, the, the, the straight there that takes you down towards Pouon, I got contact with um, a guy called Kenny Brack that pushed me into the barrier and then came back in front of the field. I got hit by, by another car and it broke my, my leg. Um, thankfully, just the small bone. Uh, is that the, you've got the fibia and the tibia. I think it might be the tibia. Um, so I was out for a couple of races and then got back in, but that was a pretty scary moment. When you were a racer, did you have any scary moments? Well, I talk about breaking legs. You see, in our days, I think the listeners should realize that um, nowadays with carbon, uh, it doesn't fold in on you. Uh, whereas when we were racing at that stage, even uh, in your day, um, you know, there, were, there weren't the monocoques that we know. They were uh, structured by either some sort of uh, aluminium or, or, or metal. Or something. Tubular and, frames. And, and they yeah. just folded in on top of you. So yeah. the, fr the, the tubular frame is the one that actually caused the damage because when you hit something, it stayed hit. And uh, so I broke... Uh, I think in karting, I broke my leg probably in about 72. I then broke both legs in 76 in Mallory Park. Brakes failed going into the hairpin, and that no, was a hairy really? moment. I didn't know that, yeah. Uh, so I spent uh, Leicester Royal Infirmary. I was uh, I was very much a patient of yours there for two, three weeks before I was let out. And two legs is a bit difficult because you've got no, nowhere to put the crutches on. And um, so anyway, <laughs> look, I was very... So is that how you developed the skill to walk on your hands? Um, David, can we please move on? Um, and uh, I have to say, I remember this is a funny situation where Marie was about to give birth and she, uh, I went to the hospital uh, on crutches with, with full plaster because I'd broken my leg in a Formula 3 race uh, at, at um, Mondello Park. And um, I went to the hospital and she told me in no uncertain terms with a certain language that she, I've never really heard her say she used the <laughs> F word to get the fuck out of this operating theatre while she gave birth to the baby. So am I able to say that I saw my daughter born um, 50%? I was <laughs> peeping in the window while I was told to get out. So they were my scary moments. Do you broke your leg three times? Uh, in three different incidents while racing. You would have thought you would have realised after the, at least the second time that this wasn't the right sport for you. Um, I had belief that I thought I was going to make it and, um, you know, just uh, land, time, age, 
got to me. And then I think when you have a family and we lost the first baby and then Zoe came along and very soon Mickey came. So, you know, there were four kids there. So I'm thinking before I had the four kids, I thought maybe it might be slightly safer on the other side of the track and be run a team. And that's what happened. And that's how it happened. Well, it was a great journey. The whole Jordan story is, is there part of Formula One history. What I find interesting when we think about the dangers of the sport is I don't consider myself a brave, I don't consider myself a risk taker, but I can obviously acknowledge that having raced from 11 years old, that I was aware that motor racing was dangerous. And as we know, my career started in Formula One through the tragic loss of, of Ayrton Senna, and I was promoted from being the test driver. But at no point was I ever scared of being in a race car. No point did I ever think, oh my goodness, this is dangerous. Am I, am I doing the right thing? I just seem to be kind of devoid of any emotion towards what could happen. Everyone who races and drives, they don't feel that. Because if they felt that, I don't think they could do it. And I went from being a driver to being a team manager. I was much more nervous at the start of a race being the team boss. And I'm sure you're just a, with your son. So the race is about excuse me, the race is about to start and you're very apprehensive of what could happen and you know what can happen. But, but you're just wondering, whereas when you're sitting in the car, all you're thinking, how am I going to pass him? How am I going to lead this race? How am I going to go on the inside or wherever you are? And even if you're at the back of the grid, how am I going to avoid all the chaos? So the driver has so much to think about that if, he, if he's nervous, I don't know a driver who's ever been nervous, to be very honest with you. But, but sometimes you hear them talking and it's like, well, if, if you're that kind of upset by the conditions, don't do it. You know, when they talk about wet weather and things like that, you know, I, I completely get it. Yeah, but they're saying that to get into the head of the team boss who will speak to the race director and they're trying to manipulate. That's all skullduggery. You know that. That's what the drivers do. They try and manipulate. It's exactly like what footballers do, waving a card. I'll never understand in uh, professional football why it can be acceptable to fake being tackled and fall over. And and especially with replays and things like that today, you know, what was it called VAR or uh, whatever the referees are using. That we, we should not be promoting that as, as something that you should do in sport because then it teaches the young kids that if you fake falling over and get a penalty for your team and then you score the goal, why should that be celebrated? It's a form of cheating, is it not? Of course it is, but it has been... Eradicated. Um, it, it is in the mind of the, the ruling body, and I think <clears throat> you will probably see less of it as we go on, it, because it became so ridiculous and so annoying to people who would casually watch or people who are fanatical about it. It depends on who you are. Um, but as you rightly brought it up. It's a, a source of annoyance to you, but I think it's a source of annoyance to everybody because there are some people who roll around the place uh, in the hope of getting them a red card instead of a, a yellow card. So, um, look, we... we, we um, Let's keep to the subject in hand. Thank God we don't have that in Formula yeah, 1 because goodness. I think yeah. there is a real good friendship between all the players um, uh, in motor racing. I, I think we see that at the end of the Grand Prix. Very seldom will you see any aggro these days. Yeah. No, I think there's a, a group of young drivers right now that they, they seem to relate to each other. The only, I guess, outlier in that would be really Lewis. You know, maybe could Lewis has been around for longer he's you know he's only driver that has actually a, a security um man that, that works with him at the track 
um, which I don't know what danger he feels he might be in. <laughs> Somebody coming up and asking for an autograph. But other than that, there does seem to be, you see quite a lot of the, the younger guys, you know, your Georges, your Landers and whoever else hanging out with each other away from the racetrack. I think Lewis is, um, you've got to give him some credit um, because he is still the most revered driver in Formula One at the moment. I know we talk about Max, but Max is a much more laid back kind of guy. Um, whereas Lewis, he, he's front of house, isn't he? He's box office, top, top class. Um, having said that, I think full marks to Lewis because in any of the interviews, he'll always give credit to the other drivers around him. He'll always credit his, you never hear him fall out with, with Russell or any of the other guys, even if there is conflict or if there's uh, touching. I, I, I saw that recently, of course, he did have trouble with, with Alonso, but, you know, that seems to have mended its ways. Yeah, I think it's more coming from Fernando than from, from Lewis. You know, Fernando, I think, is just, he's tenacious, isn't he? It's almost like he's angry that, that he hasn't had more world championships. Um, he certainly deserves to have won more than two. Um, Aston have kind of slipped a bit, haven't they? They started the year incredibly well, but this, the, the second half of the season, they need to get some developments well, in that car. <clears throat> they're lucky they built up enough points at the beginning uh, because if I were them... Um, I'd be looking over my shoulder at not necessarily Alpine because I don't know what's going on there, um, but certainly uh, there seems to be new new fire, new blood, new commitment, new belief in, inside McLaren, as we've said in previous shows. Um, and um, they need, in my opinion, to keep a look, good look over their shoulder because at the moment they are not going to beat Ferrari and they're not going to beat uh, Mercedes. So unless they make a big change. Now, I am sure they have new developments and they have new pieces on the car. But um, so let's just see what's going to happen uh, at Zandvoort and then we see whether or not we feel that they're justified in being able to be possible finish second in the championship. Yeah, well, I kind of, sorry, I took the, took the conversation slightly away from scary moments and, and dealing with crashes. But now you've very nicely brought it back to Zandvoort. Um, that's a proper scary racetrack. It's old school undulation change, blind corners, high speeds. Well, it was taken off the track. We always had a European Formula 3 race there, so 79, 78, and all of these people. So I know Zandvoort very well, uh, but it's right that they should go back to Holland. Look at the support of the Dutch people in Formula 1. Uh, you know, the Orange Army. It's just fabulous to watch, you know, complete grandstand sold out and every single person in, the, in an orange T-shirt. The support is, is phenomenal. But yeah, right, right tricky track. And, and in my day, you never knew if the race was going to happen because the, the sea fog would come in or you would have blinding sand on the track that, you know, you, and I'm sure that's still a real worry for these people who run races there. Yeah, no, it's right on the beach, isn't it? It's actually a, a great Grand Prix and in, incredibly well organised because they, they don't allow vehicles to get very close to the track, but because the Dutch seem to be born on a bicycle, it, you know, thousands of bikes outside it, and they don't mind if it's wet, whether it's but you know, even blowing a gale. What is amazing, how the affection that the Dutch people have for bicycles uh, they'll have no problem with this electric car boom uh, or whatever. Everything is going to be uh, bicycles for them, and um, rightly so. But I don't understand how they find them because when you go to the race there, you know, there's something like about 
20,000 bikes all in one. How do you know which is yours? I haven't a clue what, how they work it out. Yeah, I know. It is pretty impressive. Anyway, um, right, EJ, we're coming to the end of this particular episode. Uh, so any final words of wisdom for our listeners before we leave them for another week? Well, all I'm saying is stay safe. If we've heard about your escapades with breaking of legs and stuff like that. Of course, it's dangerous. And, and if you're a parent of somebody who wants to be a motor racing, you do have to have in your mind that there is likely to be an incident and you've got to prepare yourself for that. And I think if you don't prepare yourself for it, um, then it's going to be a big shock. Whereas um, it, it is a dangerous sport, but it is fantastic. And as a roller coaster, as a parent, I can imagine, David, the joy that you're getting out seeing your son racing. Oh, I'm loving it. Um, you know, I'm loving seeing his commitment and um, grow as, as a young man. You know, incredibly, uh, in Monaco, you can drive a car, a little electric car on the on the road at 14. So he's actually, my son's doing his driving tests uh, in September. And I just think it's incredible. You know, we, we well, 17 in the UK before you can drive. And okay, it's only a little electric car, but it's still pretty amazing to think 14-year-olds are whizzing around the streets here. What staggers me, uh, I'm out on my bike, think I'm going really quickly, and then there's lunatics passing me on scooters, with electric scooters. So don't know what kind of a license they have if they even need one. So I think we've all moved on uh, into a new element of an era um, where people at 14 are much more responsible, I think, than we were at 14 in my day. Yeah, well, I actually th think my 14-year-old's uh, more responsible than you are at 75. Uh, I don't disagree with that. Funny enough. <laughs> right. Well, dear listeners, you know how to do this by now. You can get in touch with us at ffs at whisper.tv and on social media at F1 for success. That's all for now. So it's a bye from me, DC, and a uh, bye from him, EJ. Uh, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.